But welcome to church. And we are going to be looking at a series uh, this month based on the theme for this month, which is the evidence of his goodness. Hallelujah. The evidence of the goodness of God is in our lives. And we are basing it on Psalm 34, verse 8, which I'll just read. David says, O test and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Amen. But when you look at the entire Psalm 34, you realize that it was written when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. So what was happening was that his boss, King Saul, was persecuting him. Not because of anything he had done wrong, but because of things that he had done right. He had defeated Goliath and every time he sent him out to battle, he was so successful. And Saul, being very insecure, uh, he had already messed up with the Lord and the Lord had told him, I'm taking away the kingdom from you. He, he, he started persecuting David and he started, when I say persecution, I don't mean the things that you and I worry about, about our boss not being nice to us or giving us a lot of work. Persecution here meant at one point, for example, saw through a spear at David and David had to duck. That's the kind of persecution. And he had to run away from state house and started living in caves and picking up rough men as he went along, whom he later on trained and they became his mighty generals. So at some point, things got so bad that the only option David had at that point was to go to the Philistines. So he went to King Abimelech. And how do you survive in your enemy's camp? You pretend to be mad. To a point that Abimelech asked the question, says, are there not enough mad people in Philistine that you bring me another one from the Hebrews? But it was a survival tactic and it works. And in the context of pretending to be mad, we have this psalm where David says, test and see that the Lord is good. So in the month where our theme is the evidence of his goodness. And we, 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 we do not take much thought about the word evidence. If you're looking for a, for a title, just say the evidence of his goodness, Jesus Christ. That's part one. The others will take on as we go. So part one is about Jesus Christ being the evidence of God's goodness. Evidence. I must have been around nine or ten. I forget. But I was always fascinated with art. Drawing things, taking pictures. And uh, this time I thought I was going to use the family camera. My parents' camera. You know, the ones where you took photos and there was something inside going, every time you clicked it went, there was a film inside. If you don't know a camera that has a film, you are not my friend. <laughs> but what would happen is that we'll take the pictures and after a while, we'll take the negatives to the studio where they'll develop the photos and they will come back to you. And so anyway, I got fascinated with my parents' first camera, the family camera. And uh, when they were not home, I would walk into their bedroom um, I mean, I was minding my own business in the home and then just walked into their bedroom, got that camera, and tried a few things. And because I didn't know how it worked, and, and after I was done, I, I packed it where it was and just put it the way it was, and they would never find out, right? Nobody would know. I think I had covered my tracks pretty good. Right? Wrong. 
After some time, they took the picture, <laughs> the negative to the studio, and they developed the photos. And my love for photography was there for everybody to see in the house. Because there were some photos my parents were like, this wasn't us. You know, I was, there was one where I, I, I remembered that I actually, I think I took a selfie long before everybody was taking selfies. Because I stood in front of their dressing table where there was a mirror and they took a picture of myself. And there was the evidence that I'm the one who had been using the camera without permission. I was busted. All the evidence was there and I was punished for it. This is evidence I could not deny. I could not run away from it. I deserved my punishment. That's what evidence can do. Amen? Sometimes evidence is circumstantial. Where people say, yeah, you know, here is what happened. The police came to this house and they found this person dead. But um, there were witnesses who saw you come out of that house 10 minutes before. The evidence is circumstantial that you are the one who is guilty. They might not find prints or whatnot, but you were seen on the site. That is circumstantial. Okay? Sometimes evidence is real. Sometimes it is circumstantial. People said, I remember there was a time people were like, you know, we're just wondering and we need to know. There were these two sisters that were together in college. with. They said, we are wondering and we just want to know. You and that girl, is there anything going on? And it was really hard because I was interested, but I hadn't said anything yet. But they had seen enough for them to come and say, what is really going on? That's circumstantial evidence. Evidence can be real, as in genuine, but it can also be manufactured. Have you ever heard or seen maybe in the movie and say, this person was framed for this? There are people who can actually do things to put you on the spot where you cannot deny because people say, whose signature is this? Oh, it's yours. Say, well, then you are answerable for this. Sometimes it can be done. But evidence, according to the dictionary, is that which tends to prove or disprove, disprove something. You use something to prove or to disprove something. That's evidence. It's a ground for belief. People say, on the basis of the evidence we have, the facts that we have, we believe that this is what happened. Alright? That's, that's, that's evidence. In law, evidence is described as data presented to a court of jury in proof of the facts in issue and which may include the testimony of the witnesses, the records, the documents, or objects. So in court, we, we, we had seen it all over last year when people were presenting all those sets of evidence in the election case. There were people who, who, who sat there and they testified and they said, I was there, I saw it. This is what happened. This is what happened in the system. We, we saw all those things. Then there were documents that were presented. Then there were, there were objects also that were presented. 
the police will come to a place where you say you have uh, you have had a break in for example and the police will be looking at broken windows or maybe forced doors Th- those are objects um, they will say there were bullet casings in the places and so obviously there was a shooting they will look at the blood and and things like that that is evidence the testimony of witnesses is also can also be presented as evidence you can say i am a witness because I was there. I saw it happen. The infamous 911 attacks on New York. I was a witness. I wasn't in New York. We were in Blanter, in a friend's house, but he had his TV on. And we thought, because usually he jokes a lot, and when he said, guys, America is on at- under attack, we said, no, this is just him. He's, he likes to pull these kind of jokes. And, and we said, no, 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 America is under attack. He said, no, 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 no. Stop what you're doing. We were at breakfast table, I think. Or was it breakfast or lunch? He said, come, 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 come and see. Please, guys, come and see. And we thought, hmm, you know, why this time? So we went and we saw the second plane go through that building, crash into that building. I was a witness. I was a witness. That's evidence. Why do people look for or ask for evidence. First, people want to prove or to disprove something. That's why they will ask for evidence. They will say, we believe that this guy is not who he says he is. So they start looking for evidence. They will look for evidence of you not being who you really are or things that will point towards who you really are not. Or if they want to prove or maybe to defend you, they'll say, here is the evidence. This guy is a prophet. Look at the miracles he's doing. Okay, because you want to cement your, your reputation as a prophet. So they say, ah, but this is a prophet. He, he said this and it has happened. This is a prophet of God or, or things like that. I'm just using random examples. But a case in point in Mark chapter 12. Let's go to Mark chapter 12 from verse 13. We'll see here an example of people looking for evidence to prove or disprove something. In Mark chapter 12, verse 13 to 14, to 17 rather, the Bible says, and they sought to lay hands on him. Okay? So that's the motive. Everything you're about to read from here on is because these guys wanted to get hold of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and, and persecute him because... Jesus was really rattling a lot of cages, and they did not like it. So they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude. For they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Verse 13. Then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch him with his words. Okay? So everything Jesus is saying, all they are interested in is not what he is teaching. They are only interested in what they can use to trap him. They're looking for something they can use as evidence. They want to prove or to disprove something. So, verse 13. They want to catch him in his words. Verse 14. When they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one. They're flattering him. For you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful? To pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But knowing their hypocrisy, said, he said to them, Why do you test me? Bring me a denarius that I may see it. So what is happening is they ask him a question, knowing that whichever way he answers, we are going to corner him. And they had tried this several times. Until one time Jesus answered in such a way that they decided, this word battle we can't win with him. And, and, and he says, he, he realizes that they want to, uh, to corner him. Now what was happening here was that the Jews were in rebellion against Caesar. And they didn't want to pay their taxes. So he was, this was a question where they wanted to trap him. Whichever way he was going to answer, he was going to be in trouble with Caesar. So Jesus says, you bring me a coin, bring me a denarius. So they brought it, verse 16. He said to them, whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. So you have a case in point where they're trying to prove something using evidence the evidence of his words, the testimony. Somebody should be able to say, I heard him say this. Remember Jezebel, when he was getting that, um, when she was getting the, 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 the vineyard from Naboth, she actually took two men uh, who were, the Bible says they were scoundrels. These are rough people. These are people you can pay to do anything you want. And they put them next to Naboth. And when Naboth was accused, this guy said, yes, we heard him say such and such and such. They were false witnesses. That was created evidence, manufactured evidence. Because, because uh, Jezebel needed to prove that Naboth had blasphemed the king and had blasphemed God and he needed to die. So that then on, she would take the vineyard. So that's evidence. You need it for different reasons. People need evidence for for different, different reasons. Secondly, many times I think we are very hard on Thomas, one of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, because he did ask God. Uh, he, he, he told his, his friends when they told him, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ has resurrected. What did Thomas say? He says, unless, unless, which means I'm not going to believe anything unless these conditions are fulfilled. Okay, so he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger on where the nails were. I'm just thinking about it. That would have hurt, eh? Put a finger where the nails are. There's a wound there. But anyway, he's saying, I need to see the nail marks and put my finger where it was. I need to see that it was real. I need to put my hands on his side because he understood, he remembered that he was pierced on the side. He says, unless these things happen, I will not believe that Jesus Christ has risen again from the dead. And many times we, 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 we give him a hard time. That is in John chapter 20, verse 26. We give him a hard time for being somebody who was looking for evidence. But this kind of evidence, this kind of quote-unquote doubt which he's famous for as the doubting Thomas, helped him in the end. Because he was saying, you're saying Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He must have remembered Jesus talk about it. But he was saying, as for me, I just want to see him. I want to touch. After that, I'm good. We are together. But right now, I need to see. This guy must have been a scientist. 
I don't know. But he was doing what we all do. Almost all the time. He was looking for grounds to base his belief on. Okay? It's okay to look for grounds to base your belief on. And later on, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about how you are blessed if you believe without seeing. It's just that Thomas was looking for things that are physical. So then he would base his belief on that and say, yes, the Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Because of the evidence that you have, you are able to say, based on this, I believe that this is what it is. I believe X, Y, Z because of the evidence. Yesterday we were talking uh, with a doctor friend of mine and we are saying, why is there so much fear about the pandemic? Why? Why is there so much fear? And we looked at some of the data and we realized something. Did you know that of all the concluded cases where um, someone is infected, they are treated, and then there's an outcome, the statistics say 93% recover. 7% are the fatalities. That means out of every 100 people, 93 recover. Seven don't. Seven are the ones that we lose. But because of the focus on the reporting, the reporting tells us of how many are infected and how many have died. It's very rare. In fact, I'm challenging you. You will almost always not hear of those who have recovered. So what's going on? Somebody profits from the fear. Because when you are afraid, you act very irrational. People buy stuff, panic buying. <laughs> you, you, you do in a imaginable things, things you wouldn't normally not do. Somebody profits from this. You may not agree with Donald Trump, but he said, I, I, I don't want to hear about how many have been infected. I want to hear about how many have recovered and how many have died. That's, that's my focus. I think he's on to something. But that's what evidence does. Based on the evidence you have, it informs your belief. Amen? It informs your belief. So, when we look for evidence, we really need to be careful where we're getting the evidence from. For one reason or another, we're always looking for evidence. Amen? We're always looking for evidence. Always. On some forum, I remember there was a huge debate. It was a marriage forum. There was a huge debate. Should my wife know the password of my phone? Because this is private to me. This is my phone. So people are saying, yeah, but this is your wife. Why should she not know? And there was a huge debate about it. I saw a clip one time of, of, of a phone that was on the living room and it was ringing. And a guy rushed out of the bathroom. Soap and everything. All he had was his towel. And he rushed and he got to the phone 
As he was about to get to the phone, his wife had gotten it. He snatched it out of his wife's hand and went back to the bathroom. I don't know if you have remember that, that if you have ever seen that, that one. Why the fear? Probably because there's evidence. Let me ask you some questions. Is God good to you? Hmm? Does he love you? Do you see the goodness of God in your life? Well, the question is, the follow-up question is, why do you say that? What evidence do you have that that is true in your life? That's what we're discussing today. That's why I took a lot of time talking about evidence. I want to submit to you that Jesus Christ is the greatest evidence of the Lord's goodness to you and to me. Jesus is the greatest, probably only, evidence of God's goodness to you and to me. Had it not been for the Lord Jesus Christ, where would we be? Let's just think about it. So I'm going to present the evidence of God's word and then we'll double back and look at what history has shown us. Jesus being the evidence of God's goodness. That you and I can stand and say, test and see that the Lord is good. I can tell you that because I know Jesus Christ personally. The promises in the word of God show us In John chapter 3, verse 16, very well-known verse, very popular verse. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let Let me just show you something. Let me just share something with you that took a long time for me to, 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 to take in in my life. But once I got this, it, it has helped me to, to be liberated. True love gives. True love, it gives. Not because it has a lot, not because it has abundance. It gives because it is true love. When God wanted to demonstrate his love for you and me. Even though we were in sin, even though we were his enemies, even though we were rebellious, what did he do? He gave. John 3 verse 16. That's how he demonstrated his love for us. I used to be very mad when my wife, you know, I would tell her, oh, I love you, and she'd say, hmm, show it, prove it. And it's very simple. To prove, to prove to her that I love her, there's a particular type of chocolate bar. When I get that one and I bring it home, she melts just like the chocolate melts. It, it, it's very cheap, but she likes that chocolate. Amen? And so, once I unlocked that one, I would bring the chocolate and I would bring the chocolate. And she said, you can, you can give me other things. So I've had to be creative and continue to demonstrate that I love her by giving her. It's not only the chocolate. Sometimes I I don't like cooking. I love the food, but I don't like cooking. So one of the hardest things that I can do for my wife 
is to sit in the kitchen while she cooks. Terrible experience. <laughs> but it's what she loves. And I have to give it to her. All I need to do is sit there. I may not even have to peel anything or clean anything. She just wants me in there. And I've had to say, because I love this woman, I'll sit in the kitchen. Sister Mary, if I come to your home and you ask me to come to the kitchen, uh, we, we may have to talk. It's not that I don't love Sister Mary, but I'm saying... For people that you love, you've got to find ways of demonstrating that you love them by giving. You may give something. You may give your time. You may give some kind of help. You may just give because, just because. Amen? This is what God did to us. John 3 verse 16 is telling us. The goodness of God is shown through him giving us Jesus Christ. Because in giving us Jesus Christ, for those who choose to believe in him, then we are assured of our eternity with God in heaven. Amen? We are assured of our eternity with God in heaven. The older I grow, the more I think about death, the more I think about heaven. The more I think about eternity. And I'm beginning to appreciate more and more that God really, really loved us by securing our eternity with him through Jesus Christ. Amen? Matthew chapter 1. We're just looking at the evidence of scripture that Jesus Christ is truly God's greatest evidence for his goodness to you and to me. So, Joseph, Joseph is being told by the angel Gabriel about Mary, his wife, that, verse 21, she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God's love to you and me is shown through Jesus because when we get to believe in Jesus Christ, when we have a dynamic living fellowship with him, then you and I are assured of this one thing which God said through this angel, that your sins and mine are forgiven. The moment you ask Jesus Christ into your life, your sins are forgiven. Amen? They are forgiven. So you are saved from your sin. Because under God's judgment, under God's law rather, the judgment that you and I are supposed to have is death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. The judgment is death. But God says, uh-uh, I'm going to come down in the form of Jesus Christ and I'll take that punishment in your stead. So that when whoever believes in me shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Your sins shall be forgiven. You will be made a child of God. You can call God your father. Hallelujah. Verse 22. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. So God takes a risk 
sends his son Jesus Christ into the world for one reason. And the reason is that everyone who believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Alongside that, when you believe in Jesus Christ and you receive him as your Savior and, your Lord, and, and, and Lord, what is going to happen is that God is going to be with you. God is going to be with you. He chooses to be with you. You cannot bluff your way into God's presence or having God with you. He chose to be with you and with me. Amen? No matter how wretched we were, no, we were no matter how sinful we were, no matter how rebellious we were, God chose that whoever receives Christ, I will be with them. I want to be with them. John chapter 14, verse 20, all the way to verse 23. It says that, says, whoever obeys my commandments, my teachings, I'm just paraphrasing. He says, my father and I will, will dwell with him. Jesus is not ashamed to call, call us brothers or sisters. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. The way we are, no matter what skeletons we have in the cupboard, Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. He loves us so much. He will not leave you nor forsake you. But there's a catch. He will not leave you the way you are. He will want to work on you. Amen? Because that's not a license to sin. You can't say, oh, he will never leave me nor forsake me. So I'll just live the way I want. I'll just sin the way I want. That's not a get out of jail card. Uh -uh. He's going to work on you. But to think that the creator of heaven and earth, when our brother was leading us in prayer this morning, he was talking about, have you ever thought of, how, how come the sun gets up, sunrise, Every morning, like clockwork, sunset. Then we've got night, and, and it happens all over again. And it happens all over again. Except one time where Joshua said, no, 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 Lord. The, the, I need to win this battle. So just hold the sun a little bit for me. I need to, to really, really give it to these guys. He delayed. Apart from that, have you ever thought, how come the sun just doesn't set? Hmm? How come night ends? How come we have the seasons that we have? How come is it that there are vast bodies of water in space? Which, yes, is it astronomers or astrologers? I don't know which ones they are, but they, they just discovered there are vast bodies of water in space. They can't explain it. Oh, I can. Genesis 1. It's, it's all there. Now, the God who made everything that you and I see, that, that one has chosen to be with you and with me. No shame, no manias, with you and with me. He chooses to make his abode with us. How good is that? Whenever disaster comes, people remember to pray. Okay? Whenever disaster comes, people remember to pray. No matter what professions they make in life, but they remember to pray. Here is the thing. Other people realize, hey, the God we said we were serving does not help in times of disaster. But your God and mine keeps us. He is always there with us. 
He's not ashamed of us. You know, I've met husbands who will not want to be seen with their wives. They don't want to be seen with their wives for whatever reasons. When you ask some of them, who say, I don't like the way she dresses. Hey, brother, dress her up real good and be with her. Amen. There are others who don't want to be seen with their children. Well, do something about it. They're your children. Don't be ashamed of them. If God, our Heavenly Father, is not ashamed to be with us, how much more with us who have experienced the goodness of God? Point number three, John chapter 14, verse 3. Remember, we are just hammering in the point to say, Jesus Christ is God's evidence of his goodness in our lives. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, let's start from this one. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I would have told you, sorry. I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. Jesus wants us to be where he is. Hallelujah. And where Jesus is, where he's been preparing for the past 2020 years, maybe 50, depends on your research. But that place, uh, it must be a very good place. We get a glimpse of that place from Revelation chapter 20 onwards. It's a nice place. Amen? And what is nice about that place is not the streets of gold or the the fruits that are always in season and, and, and the stream that flows from the throne of God. What is great about heaven is the fact that God is going to be there with his people. And he decided to include you and me. Amen? And, and so he's telling his disciples, he says, I'm, I'm going to go away. And he was talking about the cross. And he says, but don't worry, you'll see me again. Okay, after the cross, because he, he resurrected and he showed himself to him to them several times. But then he also tells them, I'm going to go away after that. When I go away, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Because where I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that place where I'm going to prepare is because I'm going to come back and get you. So that where I will be, you also should be. Hallelujah. There are times I've been to very nice places. I mean, these are places where you go, whoa, I didn't know the places like this exist in Malawi. And you begin to make plans. You say, next holiday, I'll bring my family here. Has that happened to you? This is what Jesus is doing. Because he cares for us. Because he loves us. Where he will be, he wants us to be. Point number four, John chapter one, verse 12. Very, very uh, familiar piece of scripture. It says, but as many as received him, receiving Jesus Christ, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Hallelujah. 
So he made us his children. For those who receive Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, you automatically are made to be a child of God in such a way that now you can say, Our Heavenly Father, together with others who have made that decision. If you have not made a decision to receive Christ as Savior and Lord, you are not a child of God. You belong to God as in those who have not received Christ are God's people, but you are not God's child. And the example I like to give here, I'll just pick, I'll pick promise. Promise will never come to me for school fees. All right? Love her. Great girl. But she would just never come to me for school fees. If she did come to me for school fees, I'll pick up the phone and call her mom and say, um, promise just came. And she was asking me for school fees? Can we talk? You understand? Because promise is not my daughter. I, I am not obliged to give her school fees. That's for her mom today. However she does it. Okay? But when Tumbiko comes to me and says, Dad, they said school fees is not finished paying. Oh, I will, I will move heaven and earth for that school fees to be found. You see the difference? Because that one is my child. So if, if you have not believed in Jesus Christ, if you have not received him, according to John chapter 1 verse 12, then you do not have the right to say you are a child of God as far as God is concerned. So make that right and join the family. And you will experience the goodness of God in your life. Amen? You'll experience what God does, the great length God goes into just to make sure that you are cared for. Just to make sure that you get the wisdom you need at the right time. Just to make sure that you, 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 you get his, his goodness, his grace. You experience his mercy. The times when you go through life and you say, how did I go through that? You say, that was the mercy of God. That was the grace of God. There's no way you can explain it. And that's God's commitment to you. He has made us his children. Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 14. And this one is what we're going to focus on uh, next week. We're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. But I don't want to go ahead of myself for now. Just this tid tidbit. Romans 8, verse 14. The Bible says, For as many are led by the, by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit of God is not there to give you fear. Fear does not come from God. Amen? But we've been adopted as children of God. That's why we call each other brother and sister. Because we believe in Christ. And he has given us his spirit. Verse 16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the things people struggle with in life is that when they receive Jesus Christ, some people are not sure that they are believers in Christ. They don't have evidence that they are believers in Christ. Evidence that they can point to. They probably don't know some verses at some point, that point, and so on and so forth. But you, you do know something has happened in my, in my life. You, you know some, there's been some change in my life. 
what is happening is that the spirit of God is bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. Hallelujah. You know that you know when you know. When you receive Jesus Christ, you know something has happened. I spoke to a brother not, not long ago and he made a decision for Christ. And I asked, I said, so how do you feel? He says, uh, you know, there's nothing spectacular about it, but I just know that I've changed. He, he just knew what was happening. The spirit of God. In the book of Ephesians, we are told that he is a deposit, a guarantee. And, and the best um, example that I would give towards this, I always go back to the story of, of, of marriage. That when a young man is interested in a young woman and then they're going out and they think they should be in marriage, usually by the end of the day, he goes usually to the family of the, of the, of the young woman and he declares his interest and they're... There is something left with the woman or the family of the woman to say, I'm claiming this one. This one is mine. I'll be back. It's like a deposit. You know how they say, oh, we want you to make a podium for us. Okay, it's going to cost you, let's say, 100,000. Uh, but we need 50,000 deposit before we start. Okay? So it's the same thing. We went through that thing and I gave her a ring. And that ring was supposed to be worn on a particular finger. Meaning, for all the other brothers who had intentions, the message they are getting is, You finish. The number you have dialed is not available at the moment. And they don't tell you to call it. This one is engaged. I'll be back for this person. And that's what Jesus did. Everyone who receives Christ gets his spirit. And it is like Jesus saying, have my spirit. I'll be back because where I'm going to go, I want you to be there with me. No wonder it is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When you have the spirit of God, you, are, you have an unfair advantage over everyone who does not. Because you have God with you, speaking with you. 24-7, if you'd like. You have God's wisdom at your disposal. You have God's power at your disposal. What else can be better than that? Because if you check with the other beliefs, the other religious systems, the spirits that they do have are not nice ones. They may be nice for a while, just to keep them hooked, but they are terrible. Because they are from the dark side, evil spirits. We have the Spirit of God. Amen? Cooperate with the Spirit of God in your life. And you will be able to say, like David, oh, test and see that the Lord is good. Point number six. Now, before we go to point number six, something else that I want to point out is that um, when you have the Spirit of God, you are free. He says it's a spirit that has been given to us not to take us back into fear, but we are free. We are no longer in bondage. Here is my challenge to you. If you've genuinely accepted Christ as Savior and Lord, he has his spirit in your life. If you cooperate with the spirit of God, he will begin to break the bondages in your life. 
Amen. You, he will begin to break the bondages in your life. He will give you direction. He will tell you the things to avoid. He will tell you who to link up with. He will tell you what to do in your life. He will send people who will speak into your life. If you obey, you are going to be delivered from bondages that normally people are not delivered from. Amen? But you see, God works through people. He will send people. It may be a radio program. It may be someone whom you just start meeting, maybe at the office, and you begin to talk and all these things. God will free you. Amen? He will free you. I remember there was a time when we had a huge debt, huge debt. God brought some people in my life who taught me about finances, and I began to learn about financial financial intelligence and all these things, you know, how, how money is, is, is handled and so on and so forth. It's been a long journey. The debt is going. But I had to humble myself and learn from those who had gone before. Amen? I had to learn from some people who tell me, this is how we do business. And the more I do it, the more the breakthroughs come. There have been challenges, but all the time the Spirit of God helps me, brings people that I had never thought of before. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a door opened and, and, and life goes on and the debt continues to keep going down, keep going down. When I've fully paid it, I will let you know. But I know that being debt free is nice. It's nice to be debt free. Amen? To be able to buy something without thinking twice. It's nice. It's a nice way to live. It is. Amen? And I look forward to abundance. It's nice to have abundance. Don't look at me all spiritual. It's nice to have abundance. <laughs> all the time you think about eating when you're in town is a Jewaya somewhere. You, you could never even think of Crossroads Hotel. It scares you. Where do you begin? So I'm looking forward to abundance. Amen? Yeah, I'm looking forward to abundance. The time when I can take a holiday for several days and go to places that I've always dreamed of. Those times are coming. But for now, hustle. For now, be before God and learn how do you pay off these things? How do you manage those responsibilities? How, how do other men do it? So you're always asking, you're learning. God brings these people into your life to give you these blessings of wisdom because he cares for you. That's his goodness for you. If you cooperate with the spirit of God. Amen? If you struggle with alcohol, it doesn't make sense to make two, three passes over Buandira and you think, you say, I know, I will, I will get over this. I'll get over this, and you, you pass the first time. I'll get over this. You pass. Brother, the other time you're going to turn. Just stay away. And trust God for new friends with godly values. Amen? But if you do not cooperate with the Spirit of God, freedom will never come. Freedom will never come. Sometimes we are afraid of freedom because we don't know what it is like. Can I give you an example? So you are slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. God has heard your cry. Day and night you were crying, God deliver me. God deliver me. God sends Moses. He has his showdown with, with, with Pharaoh. And you leave Egypt. 
The first challenge that you come to is you don't have water. Oh, it was better in Egypt. At least they were long cucumbers and whatnot. Because people think it is better to be in bondage and have some kind of resemblance of freedom than to actually go to the freedom which is real freedom. And it's a choice you have to make. Cooperate with the Spirit of God. And these things I'm sharing with you, I've gone through them. I'm not telling you something that is just there, a pie in the sky that you have to shoot for. I've gone through them. Cooperate with the Spirit of God. First John chapter 3. Before our last verse. First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Keyword: bestow. To bestow is, 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 is very serious. Um, when people say, I bestow upon you, for example, knighthood, so you shall be called Sir Andrew Jaramand. That's a serious thing. World over, what this monarch is saying is, according to me, this one is worthy to be a knight. That's, a best- that's what bestowing is. They, they take a sword, I think, and they put it on your shoulders and things like that. They are saying officially, this person's recognition has changed from just being Mr. Andrew Jalamanda to Sir Andrew Jalamanda. You enjoy certain privileges when you've got Sir to your name. So the Bible is saying God has bestowed upon us the title of being children of God. Amen? Amen? If you're in Christ, you've got that title. So how do children behave before their father? Romans chapter 1 verse 16. The final verse. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Rather, not 15. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Jesus Christ in our lives is the power of God for salvation. If you have Jesus Christ in your life, you will experience what it is like to have salvation. There's power in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. So all this I am saying, Jesus Christ is the greatest evidence of the Lord's goodness to you to me. If you do not have Jesus Christ, you don't experience okay, you experience the evidence of God's goodness in, in the sense that the sun also shines on you if you don't have Christ. When it rains, it also rains in your field. You, you understand? But the personal dynamic relationship that one has with God through Jesus Christ when Jesus is your Savior and Lord, that one you don't have. So you can't say, oh, come and see that the Lord is good. Test and see that the Lord is good. You need to taste. 
And as I was saying last week in the Chichewa service, I said, when you're testing, you, you don't go in both feet. Okay? When you are testing, you want to see, is this good? If it is good, I'll go in. It will be all in. All right? And I, give, I, I gave some examples about some food that we ate in some place. But today, let me just give an example. How many of you have tested lemon bread? Lemon bread. How many of you have tested lemon bread? Okay. How many of you have tested lemon bread made by my wife? It is good. I mean, she makes a mean tingling in your tongue and cheek kind of lemon bread that you want to have some more. You know why I can say that? I've tested it. And I'm, 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 I'm testifying to you that it is good. She makes good lemon bread. Really good. If you want to test it, see me for orders after the service. But right now, all you know is, hey, he's saying she makes really tasty lemon bread, which is good. You have never tested it. You don't know it because you have never eaten it. David said, oh, test and see that the Lord is good. It's because he had seen that the Lord is good. You can say, oh, test and see that the Lord is good because you have Christ in your life. You know what Christ has done in your life. You know his goodness. You know the things he has brought you through. You know it when, when, when God gave you, gave you things that you never expected. People that just opened up their homes to you. People that just opened up their lives to you and began to bless you in ways that you'd never thought. God has done that in your life because of Jesus Christ. Amen? If you have Jesus and you're living in obedience to him, you will see more and more and more of his goodness in your life. Even when tragedy strikes, you will see more and more and more of his goodness. Amen? That's all I'm saying today. The evidence of God's goodness in your life is through Jesus Christ. That's all I'm saying today. If you don't get anything else, get this. If you have Christ, then the evidence of God's goodness in your life will be displayed. Through and through. And, and you don't need to read it in the newspaper. You'll be able to say, I have seen. I have seen that God is good. And you'll be able to tell others, this God you also need to know. Because he'll do the same for you. Amen. I have seen that the Lord is a restorer of marriages. I have seen it. Because there was a time, I would look at my wife and say, how did we get here? Things were hard. They were tough. There were more reasons to be apart than to continue fighting to be together. But today I can stand here and tell you, I have seen that God restores marriages. Hallelujah. Ah, there's no hope here. If you have an open heart before the God, he will do it. You're struggling with some kind of addiction? I am here to tell you. I have seen God break addictions in my life. 
if your heart is open before the Lord, he will do it. It will not be easy. He will have to break you here and there, but he will do it. He may have to humble you and say, sit down, and you sit, and he works his miracles in your life. He will do it. I know. Scripture is true. When he says you will be free from bondages, trust me, brothers and sisters, you will be free from bondage. The question is, are you willing to be free? Or you think there's no hope? God gives hope. Amen? He gives hope. When everything looks like it is hopeless, Christ tells a different story. He tells a different story. No matter where you are in life, no matter where things are in life, I am here to tell you just like David, test and see that the Lord is good. And when you test, he will prove himself to you. And when he does prove himself to you, you have no reason to hold back, jump all in. And you experience the goodness of God all the days of your life. So like David, you can say, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, when he was writing that in Psalm 23 verse 6, when he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, he had not lived all the days of his life. Okay? He had not yet lived all the days of his life. But yet, because of the evidence of God's goodness, where he had come from, the killing of the bear and the lion, and, or, or surviving from, his, from, from Saul, his king, surviving these life-threatening situations from his very own people, defeating Goliath, all the conquests of battle that he had to make after he had become king and he had to consolidate his rulership, fighting the Philistines and all these other enemies, including his own sons whom he fought against. He was able to say, because of all this, I am convinced that goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, which means he could look into the future with hope. Because of the evidence of God's goodness in the past. So here's my question to you. What evidence of God's goodness do you have in your life? If you don't have any evidence, start with the scriptures we have, we have looked at today. Because the word of God is true. Everything in here is true. Proof. There was a man who said he was going to die. And he actually said the particular kind of death he was going to die. And he said that after three days he was going to raise up from the dead. And after being raised from the dead, he said he was going to go up into heaven. Did it happen? History even testifies to that. If you go to where Jesus was buried, he's not there. There are credible eyewitness accounts that talk about Jesus having been risen. When you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you don't want to believe the Bible, at least read the books of 
Josephus, the historian, and others who actually documented these things that he actually rose. Now that same person said that he's coming again. Do you think he's going to come again? That same person said if you believe in him, he's going to give you eternal life. Do you think he's going to give eternal life to those who believe in it? Yes. That same person, when he was alive, he said that the, 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 the temple in Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And it was destroyed in AD 70. So, first point of evidence is the word of God. Secondly, look into your life. I'm amazed with the way God looked out for me even before I accepted Christ. I sit back these days and I look back and I say, how? How? How come? I told you the story of how things were so bad that day. I left home in Mpingui, went into Limbi, and I was walking towards Planta. I go to the Independence Arc, and I said, life is hard. My family is messed up. There's no reason to be alive. And so I had this plan. This plan was, I'm going to stand on the edge of the road, of the highway, and wait for a truck. You know, the ones that don't break quickly. The 30 ton of loaded kind of trucks. I said, I'm going to wait for that one. And just when it's about maybe two meters away, I would jump in the road and that would be the end of me. So there I was standing. And sure enough, there was a truck coming. But for some reason, this driver, I don't know how he knew. He gave a horn blast that was so loud, it scared me from jumping into the road. And that's how I'm here today. Today I look back and I say, oh Lord, thank you. Because had God not done that, I would not have experienced the goodness that I experienced not long after that when I knew the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. So God has been looking out for us even before we got to know him through Jesus Christ. And when we get to know him through Jesus Christ, you get to know a lot more when you cooperate. Hallelujah. So in closing, let me just say this. You can only experience the goodness of God's love to the extent that God wants you to experience it when you personally know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And it's very easy. You simply pray and ask him to come into your life and take over your life and trust him as Lord and Savior. And he will do it. But that's just the beginning. That is just the beginning. If there is anyone in here who does not know Christ, I want you to stand and I will pray with you. I'll come to where you are and we'll pray. you receive Christ. Is there anyone? All right. Next week, we'll be looking at the evidence of God's goodness in our lives but we'll look at the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Amen? And I'm hoping that as we go forward, 
it will also be some pointers for someone who has just received Christ. What next? Where do I go next? What kind of life do I live? And we're going to look at that next week. But for now, if you don't remember anything, just remember this one thing. Jesus Christ is the evidence enough of God's goodness in our lives. Jesus Christ is evidence enough of God's goodness in our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy that will follow us all the days of our lives because we have trusted in you, Christ Jesus, as our Savior and our Lord. My prayer, O oh God, is that you continue to speak with us in this year where you want us to shine. Help us to look back and recount the blessings that you have granted unto us. Each one of us